This is how we do grocery shopping now. This is one of the most obvious manifestations of a changing climate. More unstable weather conditions, dumps about a year's worth of moisture in a day or two. You just have to have enormous respect for the river because it can sweep you up and under and against something in an instant. Flooding in four provinces tested who we as Canadians are as neighbours. States of emergencies, evacuations, devastating loss. Today on Context, we take a look at the people in those communities coping in the aftermath of disaster. It's difficult to imagine after Cyclone Ide's path of destruction through Mozambique in March 2019, but the country was hit again, this time by Cyclone Kenneth, another Category 4. Ide was one of the worst tropical cyclones on record to affect Africa and the Southern Hemisphere. The death toll is still rising as aid workers travel to remote places in the hardest hit areas. This most recent Cyclone Kenneth flattened villages, destroyed up to 35,000 homes. Joseph Kamara joins us from World Vision and he's on the ground Joseph, what is the latest on the situation there? The situation is still precarious. Uh, both in both areas that were affected by the twin cyclones, Ide and Kenneth. In cyclone Ide affected areas, we are still finding communities that uh, were cut off uh, because of poor infrastructure, but also because um, they naturally didn't have roads to those places. In cyclone Kenneth affected areas, which is still fresh, the situation is very precarious. As you know, um, most areas, especially the island of Ibo, was wiped out. The district of Makomia was completely wiped out. So houses in those areas were fully, fully wiped out. Um, there are lots of people still in those areas. That's where they are living with very basic facilities. Joseph, how common is it for a cyclone to hit an area twice in a short period of time? We don't have a history in this part of the world, and across Africa, where a cyclone has hit twice the same country and closer to the same path. So this is a bit unique and uh, never expected, never, never experienced before. I haven't heard about it in other areas, in other regions where it has happened. So the chances were close to zero, are very unheard of. Um, so it was a very unfortunate uh, situation to experience these twin cyclones. How are the people coping? The people, I would say the people of Mozambique are, are resilient people. They are trying their best to pick up their pieces and rebuild their lives. Every day people are trying to rebuild houses. They are trying to pick up the pieces and get different pieces and put together and make life continue. I pretend as if life is normal. But um, they have accepted the situation. What are some of the biggest challenges foreign aid workers are facing? Uh, when second Kenneth hit, uh, we were faced with the, the, the challenge to move uh, part of our staff, our capacities to the cyclone Kenneth hit areas and to share resources because uh, we don't have that much funding to for both cyclones. So we're trying as much as possible to share what we have in both areas. So making sure that we make the right decisions, but also we share the little that is available is challenging, especially for staff, for foreign uh, for aid workers working non-stop. We work seven days a week. Um, we work up to, I, I've never left um, um, work before 8 p.m. And some of my colleagues work much more longer hours depending on where you are. It is very challenging, uh, very tough. Um, but I know that also they face a host of disease uh, threats like malaria, 
and, and cholera is very, very challenging and uh, scary. How can we help the people of Mozambique right now? I ask the world uh, to pray for the people of Mozambique that this will be over and this will be, the recovery will be quicker. I don't know how realistic that is, but I believe that by prayer, this is possible. So please pray for recovery of Mozambique. Please pray for the uh, aid workers uh, involved in uh, responding, that they may have the good health and the motivation and the strength to continue. Uh, please pray for um, the government of Mozambique to continue being receptive to the support and the aid workers' uh, ideas and support that are, uh, they are providing. Um, other, I pray for good health too. Other than that, I also um, appeal to the people all over the world that we really need to consider our thoughts about climate change. This phenomenon is unique, and I believe it's because of climate change. The cyclones came at the back of a drought that had devastated this area for some time. So you can imagine from one disaster to another. This has not been the case before, but unfortunately, this is what we are faced with. And unfortunately, it's the poorest of the people, of the poor, who have absolutely no idea about what's happening to their world that are experiencing the worst um, of climate change. Joseph, thank you for joining us. Our hearts and prayers are with you. You're welcome, thank you. Last month, Rio de Janeiro saw one month's worth of rainfall in just four hours. At least 10 people died in that. And here in Canada, floods hit Manitoba, Ontario, Quebec, and New Brunswick with a vengeance. Context producer Susan Ponting was in Ottawa just after the floods hit the region. Here are just a few of the stories from homeowners, businesses, and aid workers, and what they are doing in the aftermath of the cleanup. We were organizing a, a surf competition to begin with on Saturday um, and with the, the state of our city the way it was and uh, the water levels super, super high, we uh, decided to postpone the competition and, you know, come and help out. 2017 was bad and no one was prepared for that. I think we were a little bit more expecting this, but then when they said that it was going to go above the 2017 flood levels, I, I couldn't believe it. Our team spread out into different locations. We saw people kind of scrambling. Most had put sandbags down, but then as the water levels creeped up, what was happening was waves that were coming in were smashing down the walls of sandbags and they couldn't keep up because their basements and, and floors were flooding and they were trying to pump the water out. And so what we mainly did was once, once it got too deep for you know, a person in rubber boots to go out in, we would go out with rowboats and canoes filled with sandbags. We also were able to work with the military too, and that was really great to have the military come down. Um, and they kind of provided a little bit more structure and order, and, and they just have the resources um, and the expertise. And so we jumped in with their group and uh, just kind of followed along. What's been remarkable for you seeing the community all band together? It gets very personal very quickly and you know we were meeting with strangers uh, who I just met and uh, they were giving hugs and and really you felt a connection with people because everyone was struggling and so you'd arrive on site and there'd be someone saying okay go and do this and go and do that and you'd think that they were a resident and then you find out that they just arrived two days before and had never been to the community so that was quite touching to see. 
You have great respect for the water, but how powerful is it? The river is incredibly humbling and we've learned a lot from the, the kayaking community who takes safety very seriously and so part of our message is is that the river is always more powerful than you and that and it, it just has to you just have to have enormous respect um, for the river because it can sweep you up and under uh, and against something uh, in an instant. She's, my yard is full of water right now. It's, no, it's not as bad as last year. It makes it no less stressful. These are senior citizens. 90% of the people in here are all retired. They have nothing. I'm lucky. I'm, all I'm missing is water. I still got a house. Then, they're ruined. You know, I'm trying to rationalize it, but in the morning I just feel like crying, but after that I get into the work and, and I keep going on. These are devastating pictures we are seeing. What do you do as chaplaincy, as a spiritual caregiver? in this kind of loss and need. Struggling with that type of loss is very difficult for people and it depends on the person. I would recommend that they talk to someone, be able to verbalize it. Was it a sentimental loss or was it a material loss? I would also recommend that they just really think about what they have left. Uh, sometimes it's hard to do to realize that they, they're, they're still alive and that they still have things left as well. What's your advice as someone who takes a hand out to man, hand out to God, hand up to God is the Salvation Army's motto. How should people grasp on to both of those hands? People can grasp both those hands from the Salvation Army because we do provide practical support and emotional and spiritual support. The Salvation Army has trained personnel on the ground who are skilled to be able to come alongside people in these difficult times and support them. It might be a handout with a bottle of water. It might be a tap on the shoulder, just asking how you're coping. Those are the ways that we come alongside and help people. What might be the best way we can live out God's love for our Canadian neighbors who did not fare so well? The Salvation Army can't do what we do without the generous support of our public. And if you'd like to support to keep our relief efforts going, you can go to salvationarmy.ca slash flood response. This is one of the most obvious manifestations of a changing climate. More unstable weather conditions where you can get uh, precipitation that uh, dumps about a year's worth of moisture in a day or two and then it all floods and causes enormous damage to private property as well as public infrastructure uh, as well as the economy. Well, Canada's best-known climatologist, David Phillips, says what we're experiencing is not our grandparents' weather. Let's talk about that. What do we mean by that phrase? Well, everyone's going to be affected by it. Every season, uh, every region, uh, no one's going to escape it. 
I, I think it's going to uh, give us weather that seems more extreme than we're used to, more frequent, more impactful kind of storms, uh, events, floods, droughts, you name it. Uh, there's no one going to be left out in the cold. I think everyone's going to feel it. We're already beginning to, to feel the effects of climate change. We're seeing the data, but we've already had the impacts. We're seeing people being strongly affected by weather that they, they feel that they haven't seen before. It's certainly not the weather of our grandparents or our parents. It seems to be different different kind of conditions that uh, we're facing and we're being challenged by it. Were the recent floods in Manitoba, Ontario, Quebec and New Brunswick a direct effect of climate change? You know, it's, it's a very difficult question. I mean, we certainly know we've had floods before, um, and, and I think that uh, certainly we're going to continue to, to, to have floods. I think what's different about this is the fact that um, we, we know that the, we're getting more precipitation uh, from the atmosphere. I mean, that is a direct effect of climate change. But I think that it's not only as the, as the weather change, but we have changed, you and I in society. We're living where we shouldn't be living, in floodplains and avalanche zones and, and by the sea. We also have changed the land use. Uh, we're, we're opening up areas that should have been just wetlands and, and swamplands. I mean, we think progress is, is hardening surfaces and, and building cities. And of course, this changes the water balance. And so my sense is that um, we're seeing these things because we have changed, but also because the climate has changed. What surprises you most as a climatologist? Well, I think it's the fact that we think we can, re, we in, we can engineer our way out of things. We can put a, a man on the moon. We can uh, do amazing things with science and engineering. But it really still is nature is all powerful. You know, we see so many examples of it day after day, week after week, from far off places in the world and even in our own backyard. You know, we're, we're vulnerable to uh, the extremes of weather. And, and I think what we need to do is have balance in our lives. Uh, we need to to, uh, to understand that uh, weather is changing. We need to do things, not just to abandon the old ways and, and think about uh, how nature protects us and, and uh, offers us uh, 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 wonderful opportunities. But so, so my sense is that I, I think we have to get back to, to where we accept the fact that uh, nature is, uh, is, is a, a, a protector of us and, and we have to embrace that and, and do things differently. For those who believe climate change isn't real, what can you say to them based on what is happening in the world now? Well, you know, I think the science is overwhelming. You know, you can't get scientists to agree on anything. But 98% of the scientists of the world think that the world is warming up faster and greater now than it has in a long time. The evidence is irrefutable. Um, and, and I think that even some deniers are accepting the fact that, hey, the climate is changing. I mean, they think it, it's, it's always changing. And, and I think that we, we need to begin to, to think seriously about it because for the, for the security of the planet, for the uh, future of our, our children, uh, we need to do things differently. We need to learn better how to live with, with nature and not just, um, not just think that we're almighty control of it, uh, that we need to, to really understand that, hey, there's, uh, you need to be uh, thinking environmentally uh, safe and, and also, and it doesn't have to be a job killer. It's not an economic killer. I think we can have good economics, good jobs, and good environment uh, at the same time. Can climate change be reversed? You know, that's a good question. I, I think it, it can't. I think it can be slowed down. We're clearly committed 
to a warmer world. I mean, all of the greenhouse gases that people emit today going to work or school are going to be there in 100 years from now. So we know, but by properly um, providing, uh, uh, cutting back on our fossil fuels, we can maybe buy some time uh, and to learn how to deal with uh, uh, changes in, in a better way. But I think that we need to also accept the fact that we need to adapt. We need to do things differently than our grandparents did to provide safe and secure uh, neighborhoods and, and, uh, and areas where we, we live. I think we need to learn to live with nature and not try to, to conquer it. David Phillips of Environment Canada, thank you for your time. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. You're watching Context Beyond the Headlines. My name is Catherine Hayhoe, and I am a climate scientist and a professor at Texas Tech University. Part of the reason why I do what I do is because climate change exacerbates humanitarian issues. I get attacked on a daily basis for simply standing up and sharing the truth of what God's creation is telling us. Often, too, you feel like what you have to say is falling on deaf ears. But I really truly believe that each of us can engage in the work that God is doing in this world. And today, I do believe that that work includes telling people about raising awareness of and acting on a changing climate. One of the biggest questions I often get is, well, I'm just one person. Why do my actions matter? And that's why I think it's important to recognize that one of the most important things every single one of us can do, no matter who we are, how old we are, where we live, is talk about it. Dismissive people are people rejecting the reality of a changing climate and the need for solutions is so integral to who they are, their personal identity, that if an angel from God appeared before them with tablets of stone saying global warming is real and foot high letters of flame, they would still dismiss that. How do we know what's the right thing to do? That doesn't have so much to do with our heads as it does to our hearts. And for many of us, what's in our hearts really truly is informed by our faith. As a Christian, I believe that God gave us responsibility over every living thing on this planet, as it says in Genesis. But even more importantly, I believe we are to love others as God loved us. And climate change really is a profoundly unjust issue because it disproportionately affects the poorest and most vulnerable people, even here at home, as well as around the world. Although it's difficult sometimes to find hope, what I do is I look for that hope. I look for that hope in people, what people are doing, um, what's happening around the world, what's happening in the places where I live. There's little bits of hope everywhere if we look for it, but we have to go out and look for that hope. Still ahead on Contact's special coverage, communities coping the aftermath of disaster. One year ago, the Toronto van attack made news headlines around the world. We check in on neighborhoods who have band together to make sense of their incredible loss. And when a lone gunman opened fire on a warm summer evening, the Toronto Danforth community known as Greektown was thrown into turmoil. We get an update from some neighbors who are still grappling with the profound effects of the incident. On a beautiful summer evening in 2018, a lone gunman opened fire in a Toronto neighborhood known as Greektown. Almost a year later, the community is still coping with a tragedy that left two people dead. Ten-year-old Juliana Kozis was out for an ice cream with her family after dinner. 
and 18-year-old Reese Fallon was celebrating her friend's birthday that night. This is the story about how some of the people in the Greektown community are coping in the aftermath of that dreadful tragedy. So sad, because it could have been anybody. Your heart just breaks. Just, there's no words. So sad. Right after the shooting, there was a sense of disbelief and shock. Uh, some people were very angry that this would happen to their, their community. It's a very close-knit community. Um, Pape Danforth community is very close-knit, and so uh, people needed each other and, and needed to lean on each other during that time period. And so um, the, the mood was, was very, um, very much a, a, a really hurt. People were really, really hurting. Uh, Monday morning, I got a phone call from two of the people in our church. One's a counselor and one works with Toronto Public Health and asked if they could just go out in the street and be the presence of, of um, calm and peace on the street uh, to those who were needing a shoulder to cry on. And both of them have some great training. Uh, other people got involved in just talking to their neighbors. And a lot of people in our congregation, most of the people in our congregation actually live within one a kilometer radius of this church. Within 24 hours, we had the rapid response team from the Billy Graham organization and Samaritan's Purse here uh, in, set up their mobile command unit and they helped us uh, as we went out on the streets throughout the week. The entire week, we actually were out on the streets uh, talking with people, um, even praying with shop owners and talking to shop owners throughout that, throughout that entire week. I really feel that people have uh, in some ways moved on and, uh, and they're stronger, actually. I think this community is actually stronger together because of this and uh, because they pulled together so quickly. And so I would, I would say that, yes, we need to remember, uh, but I also uh, believe that people are stronger and, and uh, I, I think there's a lot stronger togetherness in this community that I, that I actually haven't seen before. Major tragedy broke out on the streets of Toronto when a man drove his truck down Toronto's Young Street, killing 10 people and injuring many more. Sheldon Neal now with a story of how that community is building care. Take us back to that day. So I had just finished lunch on Young Street, walked to my home, which is five minutes away, and immediately someone called me who I'd run into over lunch, and she said she'd seen bodies falling on Young. She didn't know what had happened, but she had quickly taken her young child and left the scene. Within 25 minutes, there was a video already of the arrest of the perpetrator, so it happened very quickly, but just, you know, even though it was quick, the wound went very deep right because this is my neighborhood do you feel a sense of worry or uncertainty at any time when you're walking down you know common streets busy streets like this or community areas as a result of what happened yeah so I, I mean these are the streets I take my kids down I pushed my stroller here I uh, had picnics here with my kids when they were really small and definitely now I'm much more aware I don't walk and not you know look and listen to what's happening. So I'm definitely more aware, maybe more, you know, guarded. But on the other hand, life is busy and life is meant to be lived, right? So I'm still 
participating in my community. I'm not going to hide because these things have happened. Many would ask, how does a faith in God apply in such times of uncertainty when tragedy strikes without warning? How does your personal faith bolster your ability to keep living? I think it goes back to knowing that God is in control and you know it's that paradox that we have free will, there is evil, so He allows for things to happen. It doesn't mean He causes them to happen, uh, but because we have our hope in God, we don't live in fear and we know that you know even if we were to lose our life at this very moment, we do have the promise of eternal life with him. So we don't have to live in the same kind of fear where you don't know, you know, what's going to happen. But definitely, I think without a faith, something like evil uh, could be crippling. We do not run away. We run to help others. How has people of faith, pastors, churches united uh, on the aftermath of a tragedy like this? So I think that the greatest obstacle to unity of the church, the big C church, is actually not theology, but infrastructure. Because we're not connected, it's hard for us to respond collectively to a situation. But luckily, you know, after the Toronto van attack, that night, a group of us, mostly pastors and leaders from this community, came together and we started a movement called We Love Willowdale. And basically, we said to the city and the officials, we want to serve our community. And we built infrastructure for collaboration. You know, we organized a prayer vigil. We organized a mo moment of silence the day after the attack. We also organized a community picnic and a Reclaim Young Walk that happened down Young Street, where even our Prime Minister Justin Trudeau took part. So uh, the church was very much united and working together to bring healing to our community and that was our heart and we're so excited because we actually because of all of this have recently formed an official group called the Willowdale Church Coalition and our hope is that we can build some infrastructure uh, that one day can be scalable and shareable so that other churches and other communities would also be able to be more united in a very practical way because that is I think how we can be salty and be light in our community is to really be able to have a collective impact. I think if we're siloed it's very hard for us to serve our community well together. Well, if all this evidence of communities in crisis has motivated you like it's motivated me, just a reminder that it takes all of us rolling up our sleeves and getting out there and actually doing something, making a phone call, giving a donation, getting involved, volunteering, learning more about the situation. You can do that when you read up about these at our website at Context and uh, check it out and think how you can be part of making a better tomorrow for all of those communities affected by crisis. For all of us at Context, I'm Lorna Duick. Thanks for joining us. media to propagate bad just as you can use it to propagate good. It's about no we have to create a value system that people can actually be proud of. The key thing is to keep the facts alive which is what journalism does. The next step is well what do we know and then what do we do.
I don't think anyone took the time to make it a racial crime. I said, Daddy's gone, but we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to see him again. Between 700,000 and a million Canadians are currently addicted. Context is needed as a broker between the various Christian voices within Canada. It promotes a fantastic dialogue. So many people have lost their life. This is about protecting our children. I would like to see the government uh, try to address the small business aspect to it. The greatest force to motivate people to live in the world differently is their religion. A new day is on the horizon! The problem is people are not following the teachings of their faith. If God is the God of all creation, then that includes science. 